0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, March 1st, 2021. I really do hate to be morbid on a Monday morning, but have you ever considered how awful it would be to drown? And because it is a Monday morning, and because it is the first day of a new month, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it doesn't really take long to think about it to realize that would be an awful way to go. And we would all much rather die peacefully in our sleep. But what we're going to see today is Jesus say something shocking. See, Jesus say something frankly uncomfortable and tell us about something that would be even worse than drowning, something that drowning would be a better alternative. And we're going to see that as we look at the first nine verses of Matthew 18. And again, as we often do, and we see God's word working together, we start this chapter with good follow-up from the sermon we just looked at yesterday from John 13 at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, where we see Jesus teaching that true greatness comes through serving. And here he talks about making ourselves like a child. And so there we see really an attitude that's necessary to come to faith, but also just a humility and a not thinking much of ourselves, just a willingness to serve others and even to serve others who can't really return the favor to us. In verse five, when he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Uh, So we see really a good follow-up to the importance of humility, the importance of service. But then we see Jesus starting to make some strong statements there in verse six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. If you think about that for a while, that sounds awful. And if you're able to go to Israel, there's some places, and I'm sure you can find that here in the States where you can find a real millstone that they would use to crush the olives. And you look at that millstone and you think, Yeah, if that's tied around my neck and I'm put in the ocean, I'm going straight to the bottom and there's no escaping such a large stone that would be holding me down. And Jesus says, man, it would be better to go like that than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And so we want to think this morning about the seriousness of sin. And we're going to see that as Jesus talks about it with ourselves first or later. But first, let's consider the shocking statement that Jesus makes here and how seriously he wants us to consider how our actions might affect someone else and how devastating it should be in our minds to lead someone else into sin. And I want you to think about your own life and think, are there ways that you might be doing that? And sometimes it might be sinister and we just need to realize that some of the temptations that we face, we need to see it as a bigger deal than just ourselves. That oftentimes when we give in to sin, when we make sinful choices, they're not just affecting us. And many other times when we make sinful choices, we're really leading other people into sin with us. And if you see any of that in your life, I would call you today to repent and that these words of Jesus would cause you to take um, really what you're doing with a higher level of, of seriousness. And again, when we consider this passage, which is very strong and very stark against the entirety of scripture, I think God's message to you is not, whoa, you've led someone else to sin. You're done. You're finished. There's no hope for you. I think it is. No, this is very, very serious. But like we see throughout, throughout scripture, the call to you would be to repent and to ask God for forgiveness and to turn to him in faith. And what we find in God is incredible mercy and incredible grace. So if there is just known sin in your life and you need to wake up to how it is affecting other people, let today be that day. Other times, though, how we might lead someone else into sin might be not as much intentional, but the shocking words of Jesus should cause us, I think, to take more caution in how we lead other people. Uh, For one that, that came to mind for me, I mean, even here, he's talking about children. And so I think parents should really spend some time thinking and praying about this verse. What kind of example? Are we setting for our children? Are our actions going to lead our children to follow bad and sinful habits and attitudes? This should be a shock to the system for us uh, to consider our ways. Are we having bad attitudes around our kids? Are we blowing up in anger in ways that our kids are going to see that and emulate that? Are we constantly complaining and griping and bickering about authority in our lives or about just circumstances that we don't like? We need to consider how those actions and those words and those attitudes are going to have an effect on our children. And so we need to take these sobering, serious words of Christ to heart, all of us who are parents, as we read this passage. I think another way this could apply is it should be one thing we consider as we navigate gray areas where where it's not so much black and white. Maybe you think about entertainment choices that you might make, or, you know, hey, how are you going to handle alcohol in, in your home, right? And these are things we know hey, watching a movie, I don't think is a sin. Drinking alcohol is not condemned in scripture. And so as we navigate the personal choices and our own personal convictions, I think one thing we should just consider is, is is my actions in one of these ways going to cause someone else to stumble? And there should at least be a sensitivity to that in our own minds as we navigate some of these areas. When you see Jesus saying that drowning would be a better alternative than something else, it is time for us to listen up and to take that to heart as we start a new week. But Jesus then pivots to really get all of us to think about temptation for ourselves. And uh, that we need to take it seriously. And he says there in verse eight, he says, "'And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, "'cut it off and throw it away. "'It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame "'than with two hands or two feet "'to be thrown into the eternal fire. "'And if your eye causes you to sin, "'tear it out and throw it away. "'It is better for you to enter life with one eye "'than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire.'" Now, obviously, I do not think that Jesus is really speaking in a way that he wants you to run out and take this literally and pluck out your eye or cut off your hand. What I do think he is teaching is, again, shocking language to teach that sometimes drastic action needs to be taken to fight sin in your life. And again, how dangerous sin can be. One thing we also see throughout scripture is that sin is very deceptive. And sin often wants us to think, oh, this is not a big deal. Oh, this is fine. Oh, don't worry about it. When Jesus is saying, no, sin is a huge deal. And sin has some people so deceived that they're really on the path to hell when they think that they're on the path to heaven. And he says to overcome sin, often drastic action will be required. And I think that's sometimes what people today still struggle with, where there is some sin in their life and there's a contentment to kind of let that sin linger instead of taking a drastic action that would drastically reduce the temptation or eliminate the temptation because they went to someone else and asked for help or they deactivated their internet or got rid of access to online. There's so many ways that we could Reduce our access to temptation and help ourselves fight it. And maybe again, you are fighting some sin today where you need drastic action. And if that's true, one thing I would encourage you to do as a pastor is reach out to somebody else, go to a brother or sister in the Lord and let them know what is going on so that they can jump in with you and that they can help you, that they can help keep you accountable and they can counsel you on the actions that might be helpful for you to take to overcome sin. So I know that's a lot for a Monday morning, uh, but we, we should look at sin and temptation as something very serious, both for ourselves and how we might, whether intentionally or unwittingly, be used to tempt someone else. And again, the point of this is not that, hey, none of us are ever going to deal with temptation. Or again, sometimes it's with, without trying that we might look and realize, oh no, my action has perhaps led someone else into sin. And that's where there is great comfort in knowing that we serve a very gracious God And that's where even as we maybe get stressed and think, well, man, how can I avoid temptation? And how can I avoid leading people into sin? Well, we need to ask God for help. And I think that's one thing we do see in the Psalms. And even as we look today at Psalm 31, verses 1 through 8, uh, look there even at the first verse where it says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. And so even as the psalmist, often we see them asking for help. It seems that one of the things they're asking for help is God, help me to do the right thing. Even there, he says, help me never be put to shame. And I think what's more shameful than falling into temptation or leading someone else into temptation, this psalmist here, David, he is saying, God, help me, help me not be put to shame. And even in verse three, he says, for you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. So even there he's saying, God, you're helping me for your name's sake, that you're not just helping me become bigger and richer and wiser and you know, accomplish all my goals, God, no, it's for your name's sake and for your purpose that I want you to lead me and that you protect me. So as we think about the seriousness of temptation, let's lean extra hard on God, looking to him for help, admitting we need his help. And having confidence, though, like we see, again, a great example of confidence in Psalm 31, trusting that we have God's help and leaning on that. Well, as we go to Leviticus today in chapter 23 and 24, especially in chapter 23, we see something that might look different, but have some level of familiarity to it. Think through a year uh, starting in January. You know, the first thing you're going to think of is New Year's Day. And then you go through the year and you think of, oh, there's Valentine's Day and, you know, in spring, we're coming up on here. We've got Easter and, you know, summer. Maybe you think of Memorial Day and Fourth of July. And then we get into the fall and starting the winter again. And you think of Thanksgiving, Christmas. Every year, even in our culture, has a cycle of holidays. And even think about that word, holidays, and you can even see in it this idea of holy days, days that are set apart, days that are special. Well, today we kind of read about the annual calendar of holidays in chapter 23 of Leviticus for the nation of Israel. What I want you to notice is that these holidays were intentional to cause the people to remember, to celebrate, uh, certain things. We think of the Passover, and obviously we think of the Exodus. You you look at uh, the Feast of Booths, and that was meant to remind them of when they lived in the wilderness and when God provided of them for them. The Feast of first fruits and the Feast of Weeks, there's definitely tones there of really just uh, agrarian culture and a harvest coming in and just a celebration really meant to thank God for his provision. So these holidays were Intentional. And that's where, when we look at our modern culture, the holidays kind of run the gamut from kind of contrived and really more of a marketing perspective. But we also see holidays that I think Christians today can embrace. Think of Thanksgiving, for instance. We are commanded as Christians to give thanks. And even Thanksgiving. Uh, And that feast is often associated with this idea of the harvest time. Well, that's not too far from what we see some of this in scripture where they were to give thanks to God for his provision. I think that is a holiday that Christians should embrace and use it in a true and godly way to give thanks to God. Or think about coming up that we have uh, what we many people in our culture refer to as Easter coming up, or what Christians often refer to, perhaps more rightly, as Resurrection Sunday, the day that is set aside to remember that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And churches are right to commemorate that day. That should be a special Sunday and that's where I think it's good for us even to think through our own lives and our own families, what can we do to kind of seize some of these holidays in our culture and I think use them for a godly purpose and even to develop traditions for ourselves, for our families to help point us to God and not just the the worldly, secular, uh, even marketing perspective based aspects of some of these days, but that Easter, I think, should be a special time for Christians. And even now, as it's just over a month away, I would encourage you to start to look forward to it and anticipate celebrating it with your church family and start to even think of what are ways you as a family can commemorate the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ together and to remember that and to celebrate that together. Finally, we look at the book of Acts in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and this is where we have to remember that not everything we see in the book of Acts is normal, that Acts was a very transitional time in the history of the church. As we see Paul go to Ephesus and people say they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit and they only knew the baptism of John. And so I think this is something that we're going to see that's more unique in this time in history where the gospel was going to Gentiles for the first time, where this news of Jesus was fresh and new. it had all happened so recently. So we can't take everything we see in the book of Acts and say, oh, that's something I'm going to experience. But we do see, I think, some of these continued themes of teaching the word, pointing people to the risen Christ, prayer, fellowship, remembering Christ's death and resurrection, these all being crucial elements of the great work that God does through his spirit in the book of Acts. So I hope that we see a lot of that fruit as we seek to live for God. And may we take Jesus's words of warning with the right level of seriousness today and to prayerfully avoid temptation ourselves and leading others into it. Thanks for digging into